Well, with that, um, last week, let me make the transition here. Last week, I, I listened to the recording and it struck me how the greatest response I got in the entire message was whenever I said, I don't let my dog sleep in bed with me. And you would have thought that I said, I drowned babies and kittens in the river, you know, for, for fun. I mean, people were, so apparently there's a big divide here between the, the dog can sleep with you in the bed and the dog can't sleep with you in the bed. But here's my point in saying that. If there's anything that Ephesians has taught us, Christians, brothers and sisters, we should be able to come to unity through these profound differences that can mark our families and our lives. And so grace and grace and grace abound because some of us raise our dogs differently. Um, that said, I'm going to read for you now one verse, and then I'm going to give a really, really long introduction to the rest of the reading of God's word. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, just one verse here to get us started. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Or the way that perhaps the ESV puts it, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Thank you very much, yes, and imitate our pets. No, um, and... Anybody who has spent time now with a child, and lately I've been able to spend some time with little baby Mateo, and uh, so Chris and Sarah, they welcomed a new baby a couple weeks ago. Anybody who's had kids or been around kids, you know that children, just like this passage has pointed us to, uh, are naturally imitators. It's really quite, it's so exciting, so fun to see. And we naturally mirror and imitate with kids. We get in front of a kid and what do we do? We open our eyes real wide and what does the baby do? They open their eyes real wide and we go, ooh, and we'll see them try and go, ooh, and make sounds. And, and it, there's this beautiful little imitation game that happens. And the child is starting to learn and they're imprinting on us and all that fun kind of stuff. And it's really joyful. And this is the image that Paul is giving to us. I really like imitating. I, I find it a very fun thing to continue to imitate. I have a little habit. I don't know if it's uh, joyful for my wife or annoying, but often if she gets out of bed earlier than me and she gets dressed and let's say she puts on jeans and a t-shirt, if I have like that same t-shirt, that outfit, I put on the same outfit. It's like, I know what I'm wearing today. I'm going to look just like my wife. I actually, on a vacation with my family recently, uh, my brother came to see us, and every day I waited to see what he would put on, and I would put on the exact same outfit if I could to imitate him. I consider it a form of flattery. Anybody ever heard that one? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Well, that is what God is inviting us to do. In a sense, the flattery of imitating him, of imitating his son. This imitation game that we've been invited into is Paul's transition. Paul's transition from his WHJD section to his WWJD section. If you don't know what that is, if you do know what that is, you've been running around Christian circles for a while. The WHJD is my idea for a bracelet to make a million dollars, which I've never done, because the first thing that we do is we look at what has Jesus done. 
the invitation of faith is always to look first and foremost at the work of God for us through Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord and savior. And Paul has invited us to look upon Jesus, to look at the cross, to look and see this incredible work of salvation that is being offered to us through him. The Christian is invited first and foremost to always begin each day and end each day and all throughout the day to gaze upon the glory of God through Jesus Christ and to remember what has Jesus done for us? Because gazing upon that gift and understanding that gift and being secure in that gift, that's what moves us into the WWJD part. That moves us into, okay, now what would Jesus do? Now that I understand what Jesus has already done and what he's done through me and how now through him I have every spiritual blessing, now, now I can ask the question, well, what would Jesus do? How do I live more like Jesus? And this is the imitation game of following Christ, asking the question, what would Jesus do? How do I imitate him? How do I think he would act, respond, live into these circumstances, this situation? That is what Paul is inviting us into as we move through chapter four and into chapter five and the rest of Ephesians. This is in a sense, the way of getting some points, some principles, some advice. In fact, what Paul's really gonna do for us is he's just gonna kind of start peppering us with some advice on how we should respond to certain situations. And as we're gonna get into, and as I'll make clear throughout the sermon, some people are gonna really like these rules and maybe want more of these rules. Other people are gonna be like, oh, why are there any rules at all? But what we have is a framework, a few rules to guide us in our imitation game. But let me set it up this way. Let me take it a little bit deeper before we get more into the reading of God's word, which will actually come way towards the end of the message here today. Has anybody here ever gone to see an improv show? Improv shows, they're a lot of fun. If you've seen an improv show or if you've watched the show, uh, Whose Line Is It Anyways? There's this whole genre of comedy, of theater called improv. Now, if you go online, you'll see that there's all kinds of rules. Some people will provide a lot of rules for improv. I liked these three. Somebody had just this very short list of three rules for improv. These struck me because they immediately seem to resonate with the Christian improv that I'm inviting you all into. Rule number one, yes and. The first rule of improv is the yes and. If you say no, the scene is over. The scene stops. It's like dead in the water. So the first invitation of improv is yes and. So if somebody says, ah, you know, we should drink this bottle. You don't say no. You say, oh, this bottle, and then you add the and. This bottle that says, do not drink unless you want to shrink down to the size of an ant like Alice in Wonderland. So you always say the yes and. That just, re just resonated with me because that's a lot of following Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and this improv we've been asked to step into. Yes, God, and now what? The second thing that they said is always make your partner look better. I was like, man, that actually totally works for the Christian life as well. The second rule of improv is try and set up your partner for the win, for the best line, for the funniest moment. Try and set them up for glory because if you do, you will only look better. The show will only be funnier and everybody will have a great time. I was like, that's a great rule for Christian improv too. The last rule that I read, 
They actually stole from Walt Whitman. They probably got it from Ted Lasso, made it famous this past year. Be, Ted Lasso, be curious. Not Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso. Be curious, not, I am trying to be Ted Lasso. Be curious, not judgmental. Well, that's just a great invitation to move the scene forward. Be curious, not judgmental. What if we as Christians could be curious as to say, what is the will of God and the leading of the Spirit in and through this situation? Well, we have been invited to this Christian improv. I'm going to sound really nerdy right now, so just bear with me. We have been invited to step into this scene of Christian improv between Pentecost and Perusia, <laughs> between the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church and the promise of Christ's return. You can annoy people with those words I just shared with you. It's really fun to annoy people with theological terms. We have been invited to this Christian improv of living out the faith between the birth of the church, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, before the promise of Christ's return, with a few rules that we have that will guide the life of the follower of Jesus Christ. And that, again, is what Paul is getting us into in this passage. He's going to start peppering us with some advice, some good rules for what life might look like between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and before Christ's return as we try to follow Jesus faithfully. Now... Let me set the stage another step deeper for you. <laughs> if you grew up in the church, you may have heard a framework for understanding the story of God's plan for redemption called creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. I remember when I first read a book on this in college, this was like mind-blowing for me to help me understand this big storyline, this big arc on which God's plan of redemption is tracking. The story begins with, of course, creation, the good, perfect, holy creation that God made for our blessing, the image bearers of God and for his glory, the creation story. Chapter two, we have the fall, the problem entered, sin, death, disobedience, the problem entered with the fall, and it could have been game over, story over. It could have been the no, but God gave the yes and. I will show them grace and I will start this plan of redemption. And that is the bulk of the story of the scriptures that we have, this plan of redemption that God has been taking us on. And we know where the story ends. We know what has been revealed for us in the scriptures, and we actually have a revelation of what is going to come. And what is coming is Jesus has promised to return and to bring with him the kingdom and to reestablish the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, and to dwell with us and us with him forever and ever without sin and without separation. So that is the story of the Bible. And we find ourselves in this story, this long chapter, I should say, to stick with the metaphor here, this chapter of redemption. But if we break down that chapter a little bit further, we now know where we stand in this yet being written part of the story. We know the story of redemption is rich and full and it guides us to where we are at now. We know that after the fall that God took grace and mercy on us and he started to make a people for himself. And so you probably remember the story of Abram 
and how Abram was called, and from him would come a child, and from that child would come a nation, and from that nation would come the Messiah. And Abraham and Sarah, they begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob, all these begats in the Bible, it's a great story. He had 12 sons, and those 12 sons would become a tribe, and it seems like the story of redemption is progressing along quite well. But then we find ourselves in captivity in Egypt, but as part of the plan of redemption unfolds, we reveal this Exodus story where we're drawn out and into the promised land. And there we have Joshua and there we have judges and there we have this whole kingdom era. And the kingdom era itself seems like the plan could be thwarted again as some kings are really good, but a lot of kings are really bad. And it's always kind of this mixed bag, but eventually through it all and even through exile, the Messiah is finally born, Jesus Christ, our savior. And we follow the mission in the ministry of Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. And we see that that mission eventually led him to the cross. And there on the cross, we see the fullness of the plan of redemption really coming uh, to its head here, where we see him paying the price for our, our sin, uh, working for justice through his death on the cross, going in a grave to bury sin and death itself, rising in victory on the third day. All oh, the manifold ways that we see the plan of redemption coming to fruition for Jesus Christ. And then he promises that he will ascend and sit at the right hand of God the Father. And Paul has expounded upon that already in Ephesians. You can go back and read about that. But he says, but whenever I go, I will send to you the Holy Spirit who will guide you, help you remember everything that I taught you and will be with you always. And this is where we land then. In between that Pentecost and before the promise of his return, we have this improv way of living as Christians. Following the rules, following the lead, but really needing to take it moment by moment, day by day, as we seek to be faithful to him. Now, here is where I think the Christian improv of our life gets interesting. There are some people in this stage of improv who would really like a lot of rules. There are some people who would say, you know what, I think the Christian life would be best lived if we had all kinds of rules for how this should play out. And if you give them their opportunity, they will tell you what to listen to and what not to listen to, who to listen to and who not to listen to, what to watch and what not to watch, what to wear and what not to wear. And if you keep going with them, they will very gladly tell you in time who you can marry and who you can't marry, who you can associate with and who you can't associate with. If you gave them the opportunity, they might wanna tell you where you could work and where you can't work what you can do and what you can't do. They will want to tell you every single thing about how to live your life as a Christian with great certainty and great assurance and a great amount of rules. <laughs> Jesus dealt with people who created a lot of rules for trying to follow God in his day. We call them the Pharisees. They usually take the fall as the bad guys in a lot of Jesus' stories because they were trying to take the relationship that God was inviting us into and turn it into a religion that could always be neatly packaged through a set of do's and don'ts. And so you're going to find in this stage of Christian improv, there's a lot of people who want to give you a whole lot of 
rules. Now, there's also a whole lot of people who might want to say, ah, no rules at all. Doesn't freedom need freedom from any and all restrictions? And there are people that want to say, cast off all restraint. Go where the spirit leads. Just follow every whim. And then when you get into trying to do life with these people, you might say, oh, we want to see you in worship. And you're like, worship? I worship God wherever I go, which is true. But then we never see them in community. You say, oh, boy, it'd be great if we could get together and study the, study the word of God. Ah, I can't be bound to a group. I need to be able to free to follow wherever the spirit leads. Well, you might say, it would be great if we could pull together in the same direction to be able to reach out to our community and evangelism and outreach and service projects and housing the homeless and feeding the hungry and doing works in the name of Jesus Christ. And you say, oh, you know what? I don't really think I can be tied down to this. I just need to be a free spirit. So you see, and I'm thinking that a lot of us have experienced some of these tensions. These tensions between a faith that becomes like a religion again, that wants to control every aspect of our lives, and then this no rules at all. Whereas I picked this model of Christian improv because the imagery of the Christian improv seems to want to point us to more where Paul is wanting to point us, where Jesus is wanting to point us is, I'm going to give you a couple guidelines, a couple rules that will help you, I think, live into this stage in which we find ourselves. Jesus actually told a story that plays it out quite well. A lot of us call it the story of the prodigal son. But if you read that story, as we've talked about before here, it's really the story of two prodigal sons, two wayward sons, and a very prodigious, meaning extravagant father. The one son, the younger son, he's the typical rebel. And we like that story because he says, freedom is going to be found when I get out from under the thumb of my father. When I get out of this house and I can go out and I can live that freedom, I can have that joy, I can do whatever I want to do. And he finds himself in a very desperate and dark place and far from his father, quite literally. Whereas the older brother never left the father's house. But we learn that his obedience was a drudgery, making rule after rule after rule for himself to always be in the father's house. And he grew very estranged from his father while never actually straying from the home. Jesus seems to be inviting us to this different set of rules to follow this Christian improv that is life between the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the promise of return. The set of rules that can guide us to help live in the fullness of the life he wants to step into. A lot of us will summarize these rules with a great commandment, of course, and well we should. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's really probably rule number one, right? <laughs> love God, love your neighbor, and do what you will, as Augustine said. Because if you're loving God and loving your neighbor, everything that you do should never betray that commitment of your heart. Jesus gave us another rule that can help guide us. We often just call it the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Know that I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is a great rule for us to know that we are called to go and to make more disciples and to teach them the story and the life of Jesus and to baptize and bring them into the family of faith that God is pulling together. I want to turn to John 
chapter 13, here's what Jesus says about this rule of love, which I think we can't be reminded of too much. Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus seemed to make much of our unity as the body of Christ, to love one another and in his love to be perfectly unified. And by this, the world will witness a community so profoundly shaped, transformed in love with God and one another that they will simply be drawn to it like metal to a magnet. Paul has been making much of our union with Jesus Christ and the unity that we are to have in the body of Christ. I actually like what Jesus, imagine that, I like what Jesus says. I like what Jesus says a couple chapters later in verse 17. Here's where he goes a little bit deeper into this new law of love for the people that are in love with God. My prayer is not for them alone, that's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Ding, 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 that's us, by the way, in case you weren't fully engaging. That's you, that's me, that's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Don't get lost here in this. He's just really wanting us to lean into this unity that we have. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And we'll just end it right there brought into complete unity in the love of Jesus Christ. Paul, here in, uh, I'm gonna get lost if I scroll through this too much. We're gonna start reading through the passage here in just a moment. Verse one, chapter five, tells us to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. That beautiful picture that we can have with any child is we imitate them and they imitate us. And then he says this way, walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. All of these rules that we're about to go through, all of these ideas that we're about to go through are simply expounding upon this great principle of us walking in the way of love. Loving God, loving neighbor, loving one another in perfect unity as the body of Christ. That, by the way, is like the longest introduction ever to a deeper reading of the Word of God because we're about to get into it now. And what we're about to get into is the longest section in Ephesians. If you have a study Bible and it's broken down, you're going to see that this section goes all the way from 417 all the way to 520. And it probably has a title like this, Rules for Christian Living. So that's what all of this has been. It has been this setup for our rules for Christian living. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna invite Chase and Malia to come up because sometimes music helps us to actually focus. Music helps us to really zero in and to enter in the moment. And we're gonna start reading through this list of rules because I don't want anybody to go out here and say, that's one of those churches where they don't read the word of God. No, no, we're gonna get in like the longest reading of the word of God ever here. So essentially what you're about to experience is a 15 point sermon. Whoo, yeah, all right, just, just sit on that for just a moment. You're about to hear a 15 point sermon because I'm just gonna start reading through these points. I'm gonna read through one of these rules for Christian living. 
I'm going to read one of these insights can help us better follow Christ obediently in this stage of Christian improv to which we're invited. And you know what? The first five, you might be like, I got it. I know that. Yeah, I got it. I know that. Yeah. I'm just going to invite you to listen for maybe just the one, that one that pings off of your heart or your mind. And you say, hmm, you know what? Maybe I need to live more into that one rule. And by living into that one rule, that nugget of wisdom for Christian living, maybe God can now use and bless my obedience to that more deeper in my life. But remember, as we read this list, there, there are some who are always going to say, oh, I wish there were more. <laughs> and there's others who are going to say, oh, I wish there were less. But what we have is what we have. <laughs> We have some rules for how Christians are supposed to live obediently to Jesus Christ between the pouring out of the Holy Spirit before his promised return. Know that all of these are guided by the rule, the command of love. All of these are in a way an exposition of this is what it looks like as we walk in love together as the body of Christ. So, whoo, that said... <laughs> with the music kind of keeping them focused. <laughs> this is awesome. We're going to start going through this list from Ephesians chapter 4, starting at 25, all the way through 520. Don't check out. Listen for the wisdom, the insight, the nugget that God wants to speak to your heart, to your mind today. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We are all members of one body. I'm going to try and do this quick. So let me get my notes and we're going to start speeding through some of this. Rule number one, quit lying. If you're lying, stop lying. <laughs> if you're telling huge agrarious lies, stop it. If you're telling little lies, oh yeah, I sent the report. You didn't get it yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, I followed through on what I said I would do when you didn't do it. Just stop it. Stop lying. Be brutally honest and truthful with one another. Then he says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. It's okay to be angry. Jesus got angry. You should be angry about racism. You should be angry about sexism. You should be angry about injustice. You should be angry about scandals in the church of covering up horrendous sins that we're reckoning with now. You should be angry about a lot of things. <laughs> but in your anger, don't sin. In your anger, seek to continue to walk in love. In your anger, seek reconciliation. He then says this, do not give the devil a foothold. I'm a rock climber, so I love this one. When you go rock climbing, a new rock climber will grab onto a ledge and hold on by their fingers. And they can last a few minutes if you're really strong, but never more than that. But if you give a rock climber a foothold to which they can just put their toes and stand and put the weight on their feet, you can stay there forever. 
He's telling us that the devil can get a foothold through anger and just camp there and stay there and live there. Don't let the devil get that foothold. Then he's gonna make it a little more clear here. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so they may have something to share with those in need. If you're stealing, stop. <laughs> if you're not contributing to the greater good, start. But for our context, it can be a little different. What would not stealing look like in an intellectual economy? In an economy where ideas are exchanged and can be taken from others, where credit could be stolen from somebody and not poured out on the other who came up with the idea. Think through what it means to not steal any longer but to start to contribute to the greater good and to contribute that generously with others so that it may be blessed and they might benefit. But then he goes even deeper. Do not, let me get it there. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, the, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I, I need to take a minute on this one. I am deeply offended by many Christians who share things on both sides of the political spectrum that denigrate and demean the image of God and people who stand on the other side of the aisle. Do not send to my inbox, do not offend me by saying, oh, it's all the Democrats' fault. Do not offend me by saying, oh, it's all the Republicans' fault. Do not offend me by belittling brothers and sisters in the name of your political opinion. I get fired up about this one because I think everybody's getting fired up about this one. I long for a community of faith who will dignify and respect one another and find ways to come together without having it go down to the lowest common denominator of just insulting everybody else. I mean, there's so much crass talk, foul language, belittling memes and posts and emails going around. Just step away from that fight. Don't get into that argument. Rise above it. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. Share his love and the dignity of being image bearers of God with one another. Try to understand others in the position in which they stand. You might learn, uh, I, you know, again, a whole sermon on this one. But oh, people, there's so much foul language, so much crass talk, so many insulting and demeaning things going around. It really breaks my heart because I'm seeing families separated, not just Christians. Just don't, don't engage with it. Don't do it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I just got to start moving through some stuff here, friends. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, 
forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Oh, if we could become a community marked more deeply by the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ, and then the forgiveness that we could extend to one another, even in the midst of difference, that is going to be a church that the world will gaze on longingly and want to be a part of. Model, exemplify, live into forgiveness. Even forgiveness for those who have hurt you most deeply. For no one has ever been hurt more than God through our sin and disobedience. Nobody has ever forgiven more deeply than God through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Because of that, we can forgive. We can forgive people. Okay, here's where we started. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there not must be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Well, again, there's a whole sermon there. I'm just gonna trust the Holy Spirit can do the Spirit's work in your life not even a hint of sexual immorality, not any kind of impurity or greed. Has sexual immorality taken a hold of you? Has impurity been holding you captive? Have you become greedy with the things that God has poured into your life? These are not proper for God's holy people. He's gonna go into this again. No wonder I get fired up about this one. Nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or coarse language, which are out of place, but rather, what's the holiday we're about to celebrate? Thanksgiving, there's a good word right there. We should be the most thankful people in all of creation for the work God is doing in our lives and the work that he is doing through our lives. Uh, let me say a couple more things and we'll wrap it up. For of this, you can be sure no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. By the way, we just live into that disobedience. We reap what we sow. Um, this isn't God being cruel and vindictive. This is just wisdom literature telling us you will live into the seeds that you sow. You will live into your improper talk, your foul language, your coarse joking, your immorality, your impurity, your greed. You will live into that if you keep living into that. <laughs> so he's saying, just stop, <laughs> stop all that stuff. Therefore, do not be partners with them for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every opportunity, making the most of this era of Christian improv where we go moment by moment, day by day, following the command of love, walking in the way of love, Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. There's another sermon there, of course. <laughs> Jesus turned the water into wine. Elsewhere, Paul says to Timothy, drink some wine, it's good for your stomach. But across the board, don't be a drunk. Don't be a drunkard. Don't be filled with that spirit. Be first and foremost filled, filled with the spirit of God. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whew, that was a lot. <laughs> that was about 15 points there. I don't know what... God is speaking to your heart, to your mind right now, but I trust if you are open and obedient and willing and listening, he's speaking something. <laughs> he's speaking some rule of Christian improv that can guide your life in the days and the weeks to come. But let me end with this. Some will want more. Some will want more rules for living the Christian life. Everything neat and tidy and tacked down to make it packaged not the relationship that we have been invited to with Jesus Christ. Some people won't want any rules. They'll just want to go wherever they want, whenever they want, however they want. That's not what the scripture teaches and that's not the life we're invited to. We're invited to the hard, wonderful work of walking in love and figuring it out with these rules of improv, with these rules for Christian life, with this command of love. We have to engage with it to get it right. And we won't always get it right, but we can always forgive and ask for forgiveness. But we can keep striving to walk more faithfully in this law of love. And here's where I will end. Here's why I like this idea of Christian improv, because go forward now with this hope that it is an improv. It is a comedy. If you study literature, there's a great divide between the two categories of literature. There's drama, the dramatic, and the drama reflects quote unquote real life because in drama, it always ends in tragedy. <laughs> it's always Macbeth. It always ends in death. But in comedy, despite setbacks, despite mistakes and missteps along the way, despite all the odds, what happens in the end of a comedy? They live happily ever after. Friends, we've been invited to the great comedy of Christian living because despite our setbacks, despite our foibles and flaws, despite the obstacles we have to overcome, despite whatever happens in your life and this life, guess what happens? We live happily ever after in the return of Jesus Christ and the consummation of his kingdom. So take hope in that. In the end, Christ wins and we win in him. Let me pray for us, friends, and we're gonna keep worshiping God for two more songs here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my people who were patient with their pastor who preached a really long sermon today. <laughs> 
But I pray that this image that you've given us of imitating you as children, of stepping into this improv, of following the rules of love that you've given us will help guide us to live faithfully, to keep walking in this love of Christ, to do it together in unity as the body of Christ. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.